If you're just now joining us, allow me to catch you up. First of all, if you don't know me, my name's Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and I have the privilege, the opportunity, and the great pleasure to bring to you the Word of God this morning. We are wrapping up this week our brief, brief series entitled, If I Were a Missionary. Now, this series is not meant to be a critique on missions or missionaries or mission trips or any of that. Rather, it's been meant to be an encouragement and a challenge to each of us to, 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 to remember that our posture on this earth, insofar as, as we walk it and we are Christians, is to, is to have the posture of a missionary. And so we've been going through for the last few weeks as to what that even means. The first week, we sought to answer the question, if I were a missionary, who would I serve? Who are the people in my life that, as Jesus says, I have come for the poor, the blind, the captive, and the oppressed? Who are the people in my life that are spiritually poor, spiritually blind, spiritually oppressed, spiritually captive, Who are the people in my life that God would have me serve? Then last week, we attempted to answer the question, if I were a missionary, where would I go? Do you mean to tell me that that I'm a missionary, therefore I got to start like hopping on planes every other weekend and going to crazy faraway lands and things like that? Well, if that's what the Lord's put in your heart, go crazy. But I don't think that that's for the most of us. As a matter of fact, we have already been placed in our mission field. God is infinitely more creative than we are, and he has designed our lives in such a way to already be placed in our mission field. In our mission field. And so it's on us to look for those places of favor, to look for those people of peace in our lives, and to discover what it is that God would have, uh, have for us in these places and in these relationships. We conclude this morning by asking the question, if I were a missionary what would I do? What we read in just one more page flip and just one more chapter is our guy Saul is on the way to this place called Damascus and on his way to to Damascus, good grief, help me, Lord, this big old light knocks him off his horse, off his high horse, if you will. You ever wonder where that phrase comes from? I don't actually know if it's there, but it's possible. He gets knocked to the ground and he says, what is this giant light? And appears before him, the Messiah we call Jesus. And he's like, man, Saul, you're tripping, bro. You better calm down. I need you to know that what you're doing is you're persecuting my people. And Saul makes this complete 180 insofar as after that point, we don't even refer to him by the same name. We actually refer to him after that as Paul because he makes such a drastic change. And we see, we see this zeal that he once had for quieting the voice of Christians now turn into zeal to passionately proclaim the name of Christ. If you don't believe Jesus is real, I need you to hear that there are eyewitnesses who could not be more passionately against him that all of the sudden with one sight, with one exchange, with one interaction with who he claims is the risen savior, everything changed. And the apostle Paul became one of the most well-traveled missionaries in our history. I prefer to call him the gospel globe trotter. He went all over the place to try to bring the good news to a whole lot of people. And what he's writing here to the city of Corinth, 
It's his instruction on how, to, on how to have perspective on the identity in which Christians, we Christians, should find ourselves. This morning, there are three words, three words that I want us to grab onto on our way to answering this question, if I were a missionary, what would I do? First word I want us to hold on to is the word servitude. Everybody say servitude. servitude. It's a servant's attitude. I mean, not really, but I think that would go well together. Servitude. Paul starts this passage by saying, look, I'm a free man. Thank goodness for the grace of Jesus because I've been freed. I'm free from everybody. I have no master. I have nobody that I need to answer to. An employer? Yeah, maybe, but I ultimately don't answer to him. I'm a free man. I'm free from having to earn my salvation. I'm free from having to live up to this crazy impossible standard and then feeling terrible about myself because I don't measure up. And, I, and I'm free from having to go to a place on Sunday and hear all about how I'm going to be condemned for my actions because actually I know a better truth. Paul says, I'm free from the Jewish ceremonial rituals. I'm not saying that y'all, 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 don't need to, y'all don't have to practice those or whatever. I'm just saying I don't have to. I'm not under that law. Paul says, I'm free from people's judgments and people's opinions. People can say what they want about me, but ultimately that doesn't matter because my identity has been found in a greater power than the person next to me who don't even know what they're talking about. They're tripping too, and they're going to die anyway. There's something more eternal that gives me my identity. I don't need to worry about what they say about me. I don't got to trip on all these subtweets. I'm a free man. But, but I am a servant. The word that he uses right here implies that he views himself as one who couldn't pay off his debts, and so he comes under to serve the person who he owes. He says, I'm free, but I have a debt to people. I mean, not literally, my debt's actually been paid, but the oxymoron of this all is I'm going to serve like I have a debt to people because I need people to know. I know the freedom that I have, but I bind myself to people in order to bring glory to the name of Jesus. And let let me add this emphasis in here that I'm a slave to all people. Not just the ones who look like me. Not just the ones who smell like me. Not just the ones who walk, talk, and act like me. And I'm going to get even more specific right here. He says, I do all of this to win all people to Christ. I'm going to take everything that I am. I'm going to take everything that I've been given and I'm going to leverage it for the expansion of his kingdom because you see that there are some people in here who don't know this grace that has freed me. We see it in Genesis chapter 3 and it's been true ever since. There are people who are lost. There are people who if, you, who if you answered or if you asked them the question, where are you? 
They might be able to answer the physical, but they can't answer the existential. They have no idea where they are. They have no idea where they're going. They have no idea where they come from. They have no idea what the heck they're doing in life. There are people who are just lost. There are people who are full of shame. There are people that when they hear this message that God is coming to see you, they want to run and hide and cover themselves because they don't believe that they are worth presenting. There are people who want to cover their stomachs because they think it pokes out a little bit too far. There are people who want to crouch down because they think they tower over everybody. There are people who want to hide their face because they haven't had anyone look at them like they're attractive. There are people who are full of such shame because of what's happened to them or because of what they've done. There are people who when they hear God is coming, they want to find a place that they perceive to be outside of the reach of God and tuck in there. There are people who are broken, who are desperately trying to put the pieces back together. People who every time, it's like some dramatic sitcom. I feel like every time I solve up one storyline, man, something else goes wrong. I'm tired of living my life on season finales and cliffhangers. I need so badly for there to be resolution. And it's for this reason. If I've hit on anything this morning already, I need you to listen closely. If you have identified with any of those characteristics and you don't hear anything else I say the rest of the time, I need you to hear this right now. It is for this reason that Jesus became the first and the ultimate missionary. It is for this reason, for the sake of a lost, broken, shameful, hidden world that do not see themselves as something worth redeeming, that Jesus came to this earth. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 8 says, though he was God, speaking of Jesus, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, it says that Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He emptied himself of of being God. And he took the humble position of a slave. He was born being himself as a human. He took his magnificent, infinite, incredible cosmic powers and put them in an itty bitty living space. (laughs) And when he appeared in human form, he was not boastful and proud zapping people as they looked at him crooked. Philippians says, instead, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He served people. He loved people. He healed people and ultimately died a criminal's death on the cross. We couldn't even give this man an honorable burial. We stuck him in a hole and put a rock in front of it. Jesus wanted people desperately to know that this sacrifice was made for you. This sacrifice was made for each of us in this room. That there's not a one person in here that he sees as beyond redemption. He has a plan for you. He has great intention for you. He has perfect, beautiful, wonderful design for you.
And he wants you to know that he went through all kinds of lengths that ain't not one of us in here going to go through just to let us know. And we also can begin to communicate this message, Paul says, by sacrificing the very freedom that we have been given by salvation through Jesus and instead dedicating our lives to meeting people inside the boxes they've placed themselves in. What in your life right now do you need to give up in order to more fully represent and communicate the gospel? Let me run that back. What in your life do you need to let go of? What freedom have you been allowed that though it's a freedom, you need to relinquish so that you and your life may more fully represent the good news of Jesus Christ? Let me put it in your living room or in this first instance, your dorm room. I see you 21 and over. I see you 21 and over. It is your right, it is your freedom to legally and publicly drink alcohol. You're right, 21 and older, that's the law. But are the people who are around you and watching you stumbling because of the way that you handle that freedom? I see you out here with your hustle making your money. Respect. Make your money. Earn your paper. But does your spending reflect the generosity of Jesus? You're allowed to be in a relationship. Oh, you don't want this one, huh? You're allowed to be romantically involved with another individual. You're allowed to be in a relationship. But do your couple interactions, do your, do, do, does what you're showing everyone by the way that you interact with one another show the love of Jesus? Hey, listen, for the rest of you, you're allowed to be single and mingle. You're allowed to be just chilling. You're allowed to be out here. But let me ask you, does your response to your longing show people that Jesus is enough? Parents, you're good. Your kid can be in 100 extracurricular activities. That's cool. If you got the money to put up for it, go crazy with extracurricular activities. But do your kids see? Do your kids see that none of those extracurriculars are as important as being on the one team God is recruiting them to be on? Hey, listen, some of you are a lot more free than me. You can live anywhere you want. You can live in any city you want to go to. You can live in any state. You can leave the country if you want to. You can go anywhere in the whole world. But let me ask it to you like this. Are you being sent by God? Or are you running to your own comfort? Second word. Second word I need us to grab onto is adaptability. Everybody say adaptability. adaptability. I feel like I've lost some people. Let's say adaptability. adaptability. 
adaptability. So Paul goes on in his letter to talk about the fact that he has taken on the responsibility of laying down his own rights and his own freedoms, and he's picked up the adaptability to put himself in whatever box he needs to minister to. The first group he's coming for is the Jews, those extra religious folk, you know the type. He says, yeah, okay, I see you Jews. For those of you who have the knowledge but have yet to be transformed by the power, let me speak to you real quick. Paul says, I see all your customs and practices. I see all your head knowledge. I see the way you work the text. I see your ethnic customs. Paul reminds you in other passages, look, I'm the Jew of all Jews. Look at my skin color. You can tell where I'm from. He says, ethnically, I am just like you. But see, there's this other power that I observe that doesn't make me have to go through these customs. You can go through these customs, but when it comes to circumcision, circumcision grace came just in time, brother. So you can go ahead and do these customs. And while I'm with you, I ain't going to make you stumble. I'll do them with you. I've got you covered. I can go there if it makes you come to know Christ. I'm not, I'm not saying you've got to get rid of your cultural practices. In fact, let me help you celebrate what's good and beautiful about your culture. But your culture cannot be bigger than your relationship with Jesus. Your religious laws and your practices shouldn't determine what you do. Jesus should determine what you do. There's a lot of folks that talk about what a good person they are or how they attend church frequently or how they were baptized at such and such an age because mom said so. But not a lot of people are actually out here living by the power and the truth of Jesus. And don't get me started on your righteousness. I read a text one time that says your righteousness is like filthy rags to God. So don't get me started. Don't tell me about how you've been living unless you've been living by the power of the Spirit. Religious folk, that's for you. But then he moves on. You're welcome. He moves on to the Gentiles to the outsiders, to the people who don't know Jesus, to the people who, because the Jews are so staunch and stuck up, they ain't get the opportunity to respond to the gospel. So he goes to them, and he's like, you who do not listen to Jewish law, you who don't know Jesus. Here's the thing. So often in church, we want to look down on these types of people. We want to, we want to, we want to look down on what people wear. We as the church so often want to use our voice. We want to waste our voice on things like, like, like what people can or can't wear, like what relationships they can or can't be, be in or what they can or can't do. But nobody, not nobody, is trying to take time to sit down with a Gentile and tell somebody the gospel. Here's what I need you to catch. If you're sitting with somebody whose breath smells like all kinds of sin, what they don't need is a breath mint like you want to give them. What they need is the gospel. People who don't know Jesus don't care nothing about your Christian punch card, so we've got to start thinking more creatively than that. 
Ain't nobody going to get all hype and convert to Christianity because you got a card. Nobody. But my church has activities. They don't care. The bar has activities too. We've got to go there. I remember when I first came to this city, where I'm from, when you make a haircut at three o'clock, you get your haircut at three o'clock. Where I'm at now, <laughs> ain't no telling. But it's not for me to walk in there and be like, uh, excuse me, Nate, Brian, or Tave, I made an appointment at three o'clock, so you're going to cut my head at three o'clock. But that's what we like to do. Instead of participating in the culture the way some people participate in the culture. Paul says, look, I know what you're going to say. Somebody is going to come at my neck and say, I'm stepping outside of the bounds of Christ. And he's quick to remind you, I'm not becoming immoral. I'm not stepping outside of the law or teachings of Jesus. I'm just not going to trip some Gentiles up on these unfulfillable laws and standards when they don't even know the love that compels me to try. I mean, we live in a society that loves to put people in boxes, right? We love to put ourselves in boxes. Let me talk to you about the Enneagram. No, I'm playing. <laughs> hey, but for real though, my wife is on that. And the Enneagram is fine insofar as a, a, an introspective look at yourself. But when we begin to type other people, like, man, if I got to tell one more person one more time, I'm a type eight and I get this reaction. Ooh. <laughs> Like, man, stop. And somebody in here who's read the Enneagram is thinking to themselves, oh, an eight would say that. I feel like the Holy Ghost is saying something to y'all right here. Hey, but listen. But we want to do it. We want to judge people off their personality. We want to judge people off their posts. We want to put them in boxes. I can't mess with them because they've been posting these types of articles lately. Or, they, or they've, been, they've been trending this way lately. I don't, mess, I, I don't mess with them. We want to put people in some boxes and talk about what boxes mix and don't mix. We want to talk about what personalities match and don't match. We want to talk about the stars and somehow, however the stars align in the month that you were born, supposed to tell you who's compatible. Man, come on with some of that stuff. I, I, I don't understand. These types and those types, they don't mix. But here's what I need you to know. The gospel of Jesus Christ has full range of motion. So why do we limit our range of motion? Why do we limit ourselves? As to where we can go, who we can reach, who we can be, who we can talk to. Paul says we need the flexibility and the adaptability to be able to enter into any space and still be a light. Yes, well. What are the things in your life that are limiting your range of motion right now? Is it your own attitude towards certain people groups? 
towards particular political parties. Stop throwing that in there. Well, then stay off social media. Is it your doubt? Is it your doubt that you have something to say that's limiting your range of motion? Do you need to adapt the posture that different isn't necessarily wrong? Last word we got to get to is contextualization. Everybody say contextualization. contextualization. Paul says, I have become all things to all people. Paul's trying to be clear. He's not living an unprincipled life, but where there is no principle at risk, Paul is willing to go to extreme lengths to meet people where they're at. And he says, all of this was done with the dream in mind that all people can share in the same hope of Jesus Christ that he has. The message stays the same. This is not changing the message. Get out of here talking about manipulating the message. I am not prostituting the message. The message stays the same, but the delivery needs to fit the target. There are those who are weak, and they need to hear about the strength that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some people are poor, and they need to hear about the richness that is found when you accept and embrace the gospel. There are people in this room right now that are addicted, and they need to hear about the freedom that comes through relationship with Jesus. There are those who are hurt, and they need to hear about the healing power given through the grace of Jesus. What we are going through and whatever we need, the good news of Jesus has an answer. Whatever it is, wherever you're from, However trouble has found you, Jesus has an answer. And if that means I got to say it a different way, if that means I got to sing it out, if that means I got to act it out, if that means I got to dry it out, draw it out, if that means I got to write it out, then so be it. However, I got to get it across. As long as whatever I'm delivering, whatever form I'm delivering the good news in does not distract from the good news itself, that's what we got to do. I remember being told, it, it, it wasn't my parents. My parents are here. I'm not throwing them under the bus. But I remember being told by somebody, I ain't going to throw them under the bus, but somebody told me not to, watch, not to read the Harry Potter books. Somebody told me not to, not to read that because of witchcraft and wizardry and wands and, and whatever, right? And then I was, I was, I was uh, reading this interview. MTV did it. Oh, don't listen, MTV. Well, listen. They did this interview with the author of Harry Potter. What's her name again? J.K. Rowling, they did, a, they did a, a, an interview with J.K. Rowling and they asked her where her inspiration came from and she said, all seven books the whole time were intended to communicate the gospel. Yes. I wrote all of these things so that people 
would in a more creative way be able, be, be able to engage and people who haven't heard before would be able to hear the gospel. I remember one time being super sick and I couldn't get off the couch and some channel was running 24-hour marathon of Fight Club. I watched Fight Club for 24 hours. But in that time, the Spirit of the Lord told me about the struggle within myself. The Spirit of the Lord told me about my fleshly self and then my spiritual self and that there's this battle that's actually happening. And while I portray to be different people and, and the whole time Jesus is trying to win my soul, you never know. Somebody just come to my house while Rachel's been in the garden or been cooking all day. You can hear all kinds of crazy stories about how God revealed the gospel in a new way to her when you talk about growth and being rooted and all that, right? And the ingredients that go in and too much of this or too little of this and all these designs. Guys, we have been designed to contextualize the gospel. We've been designed to do so. We have been designed to deliver the same message in unique ways. Our personality quirks, our gifts, our abilities, our interests, all of these were a part of God's perfect design in us so that we can contextualize his message to a diverse audience. So we can no longer sit here and say, well, I'm introverted, so I don't talk to people. Being an introvert doesn't prevent you from being able to deliver the message. Your introvertedness just means that God has given you a different process through which the gospel will come out. Well, God has given me great opportunity in the business world. Your being good at business is a gift from God, and that opportunity you have in the marketplace is an open door. But check this. The way that you do business is a way that God will reveal himself to those you do business with. If you come to this room during the week, I don't know if you know this, but it doesn't look like this. It looks like a gym. <gasps> this is a gym. <laughs> and that's because unabashedly, unashamedly, we like to hoop. And there's a lot of hoopers in our city. And they want a place to hoop. And they need to hear the gospel too. It's why it looks like this. The message is so good. We have to have faith and believe that the message is so good and it's so deep that it can be told in so many ways, but its power is the same no matter who you're reaching, no matter what they've been through. The power is the same. Third Street, if you are here, if you're with us, I need you to know that you're a missionary. Amen. That's the way I look at you. That's our posture. You're a missionary on your street, at your job, in your school, with your family and your friends. We are losing people daily. It was just another murder last night. We are losing people every day. We need desperately for not self-proclaimed Christian punch card punchers looking to get their swipe at the door every Sunday morning. But we need more people 
who look at where they live, who look at where they work, who look at the people who sit on the bus next to them as somebody who needs to be reached for the gospel because you don't know what that person is going through. You don't know that that person doesn't have a gun on them right now. You don't know what the devil's been telling them in their heads. You don't know what mental place they've been at. You don't know how lost or physically broken they feel. You don't know. And it's not for you to know. It's for you to adopt the posture that you're a missionary. And gosh dang it, tell them the gospel. I'm tired of doing these things. Spinning our wheels and still losing people. We've got to get after it. We've got to get spiritually motivated. So what do I do? Still ain't answered my question. Here's what you do. I need you to give up your rights. Yes, you have rights and entitlements that are your own. Go crazy. But I want you, as Christ did, as Paul did, to be willing to sacrifice those in order to reach the people around you and reach them by any means necessary. We've got to be adaptable and ready to meet people where they're at. They're not always just going to wander in this door. I want you to answer the question, who do you want to see saved? And then dig like a little bit deeper and ask God, what would be good news to them? I know the gospel is the answer. But the gospel is deep. It's so big. It's got an answer for everything. So what specifically is good news to them? And adjust accordingly. Who do you want to see saved? What's good news to them?